You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Bayshore. Good to see everybody. And so glad you're here today. I'm Pastor Danny, if you haven't met me yet. And I'm so glad that you're here with us today. And uh, welcome to all the guests today. We're so glad you're here and everybody that's regularly a part of Bayshore. And I want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus. Would you give our Fenwick Island campus a big hand right now? So glad that they're joining us right now. And everybody that's joining us online, we're grateful for uh, people that are joining us all over the place online. And the best way to experience Bayshore is to be here. But you guys that are watching online, we're so grateful for you wherever you're listening from. We'd love to hear from you where you're listening from. And also, everybody's listening on uh, WGMD Radio as well. So thank you so much for being with us today. We're in a series, actually finishing up the series today called Under the Gun. And we've been talking about pressure, dealing with pressure in life. And uh, this has been a really, really uh, helpful series to all of us. And uh, somebody sent me this week uh, this little thing about being under pressure, about a kindergarten teacher that was under pressure. And it says uh, a kindergarten teacher was helping one of her students put his boots on. He had asked for help and she couldn't see why. With her pulling and him pushing, the boots still didn't want to go on. When the second boot was on, she was nearly out of breath. She almost whimpered when the little boy said, teacher... They're on the wrong feet. She looked and sure enough, they were. It wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She managed to keep her cool as they worked together to get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. Then he announced, these aren't my boots. She bit her tongue rather than scream. Why didn't you say it earlier? Like she wanted to. Once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-fitting boots off. He then said, They're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. (laughs) She didn't know if she should laugh or cry. She mustered up the grace to wrestle the boots on his feet again. She said, now, where are your gloves? He said, I stuffed them in the toes of the boots. So anyhow, there you go. Well, maybe you've uh, felt some pressure in life and uh, whatever you do, if you're a kindergarten teacher, if you run a business, if you're a single parent, uh, if you work in a law office, wherever you work, there's pressure and stress in life. And life is just filled with stress and all kinds of pressure. Today, as we finish the series, we're going to be looking at Jesus under pressure, when he was under pressure. And uh, we have uh, a wonderful picture of Jesus under enormous pressure and how he handled that pressure when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, praying. And uh, maybe you've uh, been to Israel, you've been to the Garden of Gethsemane, you've seen that ancient uh, garden where Jesus prayed. It's interesting that the word uh, Gethsemane means olive press, olive press. And that was where they took olives and they would press them and out of the pressed olives, olive oil would be produced. And so Jesus was in a place that was significant because of pressure, the pressure that's on the olive, uh, uh, the olives, and Jesus is experiencing incredible pressure. I want to read a little bit of, uh, of the story. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also mentioned in John. So it's a very, very famous story. Luke 22, verse 39 through 46 says, 
And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel in heaven, strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So in this uh, story, we see Jesus under enormous pressure, enormous stress. And uh, he was uh, at the point of highest stress he'd ever been under. Now, you think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was many, many times under uh, moments of great stress. There were times when he was put on the hot seat by the people trying to trip him up. Uh, one time there was a lady that was called in adultery that was brought to Jesus and uh, they said to uh, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. Uh, the, the law of Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say? So that's a really, really stressful moment. He's on the spot. They're wanting to trip him up and the Bible says that Jesus knelt down to uh, ponder the situation, and he's drawing in the ground, kind of kind of doodling in the sand, waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak to him, to give him the wisdom he needs for that moment. Then he stands up and he makes those incredible that incredible statement: "He who's without sin." let him cast the first stone. So that was a moment of pressure for Jesus. Another time Jesus was asked, you know, about uh, the, what was called the Leverite marriage. In those days, there was a, a man who was married to a woman. He died, and court, according to the, the uh, Old Testament, the Leverite marriage law, that his brother was supposed to marry his wife and, and carry on offspring. And so Jesus was asked this question by the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection. And the Sadducees, uh, you know, said, to Jesus, you know, uh, the first man married or didn't have any children. The second man married or didn't have any children. All seven of them married her. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus had a great response to that. My big question was, what was the woman putting in the men's cereal? I mean, they were dying like flies. But anyhow, that was a pressurized moment. There's another time when Jesus was teaching in his hometown at Nazareth at the synagogue and he said something to offend the people in the synagogue and they took him to the brow of the hill to throw him off the hill. And I've been to Nazareth. There's a very, very clear geographical reference to where that is. You can see this big, big cliff where uh, that's near Nazareth, uh, where near Nazareth, where they took Jesus. And so he's under pressure, enormous pressure. But this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is under more pressure than he's ever been before. So there's degrees of pressure in life. There's times when we're under a little bit of pressure. There's times when, you know, we have some stress, but then there are other times when we're under enormous pressure, enormous stress. So there's degrees of pressure and there's seasons of greater pressure. So as you go through life, you're going to have some seasons where you're really, really under pressure. You're under stress. And uh, many of you know what that's like. You have some seasons where things are just out of control. There's all kinds of things happening. You can't control things and you're under enormous stress. Other times, a little bit of stress, but there's just variations of stress. I think about, you know, back in September when the Ravens were playing the Detroit Lions and, uh, 
the Ravens were uh, three seconds left in the game. Three seconds left in the game, and they're losing 16 to 17, and they're on the 66-yard line, and Justin Tucker, the anointed servant of God, he comes up there and he kicks a field goal that hits the, the crossbar and then it goes in for an NFL record. Now, Justin Tucker, you know, selling uh, Royal Farms chicken these days, he's an incredible, uh, incredible kicker. But that was a moment of stress that was greater than if he's kicking an extra point. You know, uh, you know, when you're kicking an extra point, that's sort of like, you know, that's just routine. But here it is, three seconds left in the game. Three seconds left in the game, the longest field goal ever, 66 yards, and he nailed it. He got it done. So there are degrees of pressure in our life. And so that's something that we all experience, that we go through different degrees of pressure. So I want to talk a little bit about where does pressure come from? Where does pressure come from? Now, there's a lot of different places pressure comes from, but here's, uh, here's one of the places it comes from. Pressure comes from the world. Pressure comes from the world. If you live in the world you're going to have pressure. There is no such thing as living on this planet and escaping pressure. Pressure is a part of life. Pressure is a part of the fabric of living. The only people in our community that are not experiencing pressure and stress are people that are in the graveyard. If you're living, it means that you're experiencing stress and pressure. Here's what it says. It says that... Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16, uh, in the world, you will have tribulation. Now, it's interesting, that Greek word there, tribulation, if you look it up in a lexicon, the first definition of the word tribulation, uh, the Greek word there for tribulation is pressure. In the world, Jesus said, you will have pressure. You will have stress. Uh, in the world, you will have pressure or stress, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And Jesus is encouraging us today that if you're under pressure, if you're under stress, if you're under enormous pressure in your life, that, that you can be of good cheer. Everybody's got pressure. Everybody's got stress. But he says that uh, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, if there weren't, if there weren't any challenges in life, if there weren't any difficulties in life, if life was just without pressure, I think it would be incredibly boring. I think the fact that we have all of these challenges in life makes us live the great adventure of living. Because when you think about, you know, going through life and we all long for the, you know, the life on the beach where we're just sitting there with a corona and we're just watching the, the waves come in and we're all relaxing and there is no pressure. We're all dreaming about that moment, but that does not exist on this planet. And I think when you think about, you know, uh, a life without pressure would be a life that would be boring. So life has challenges, and because life has challenges, when we go through the challenges of life, we get to latch a hold of the strength of God, the grace of God, the power of God, and as we launch on, latch on to the grace and power of God, he gives us the ability to live the great adventure of overcoming the challenges of life. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, to cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Say that with me, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. That's 1 Peter chapter 5. Say it again. Cast all your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. 
A number of years ago, I was in uh, Germany preaching, uh, a little preaching tour, and I was uh, traveling by myself. Karen wasn't with me. I didn't have anybody from the church with me. I was just working with several missionaries. I was there about three weeks. And I remember, you know, I, you know, I don't know how you are when you travel internationally, but I just take too much stuff. I had too many clothes. I had too many books. I had, you know, three bags and I had a big bag with my clothes in it. And uh, I had two big shoulder bags with, with books and things that I was carrying with me. And I remember trying to catch a a, a train in uh, Dusseldorf, Germany, and I get on this train, and it's packed with people. There's people everywhere on this train. And when I get on the train, uh, there aren't any seats left, and all there is left is those little bars in the middle that you hang on to. And so I finally found one of those bars to hang on to, and I'm hanging on, and the train takes off. And I've got these two big shoulder bags on my shoulders, and I'm still kind of holding the, uh, the, the suitcase. And then it occurred to me, what am I doing? I'm holding on to all this weight when I'm on a train. And I set those bags down, and when I set those bags down on the train, the train had the capacity to carry the weight that I had been carrying. And when you're under weight and under stress, that's what stress is. Stress is weight on your life. And when you have weight on your life, the Bible says to cast all your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. There may be a single mom here right now that you're trying to pay the bills, you're trying to get everything done, you're trying to keep your, up with your job, you're trying to keep up with everything with your child and daycare and, and doctor bills and all that. And I want you to know that the weight that you're carrying, that the Lord can help you. Regardless of what weight you're carrying, the Lord can help you and give you the capacity to carry that weight. Can you say a big amen? Amen. Amen. So before we leave this passage here, say this with me. Uh, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. So the word cast is balo in the Greek. It means to throw. So whatever weight you have on you when you're under stress, you throw that on the Lord. And, and that's a process many times. How many have ever thrown something on the Lord and then five minutes later you got it back on your shoulders? So you have to process that to the Lord. So that's important. So where does stress come from? Stress comes from the world. And, and I think that without stress, without challenges, life would be boring. And because there's challenges and because there's stress in our life, life becomes an adventure. And because there's challenges, the adventure of life, us trusting the Lord, uh, it helps us to uh, have the excitement in life that we need. So as much as I don't like stress sometimes, as much as I don't like the challenges sometimes, I know that if I had a life without challenges, it would be incredibly boring. My, my son, uh, my, both of my sons are surfers. They love to surf. And... Uh, What's really exciting to me is I'm not a surfer. I want to be a surfer. I tried to surf. I can't surf. I like the idea of me being a surfer. I have surfer clothes and all that, but I can't surf. But, um, but my, what's really exciting is my little six-year-old grandson, Nixon, is a surfer. And, you know, if you are a surfer, you know, there is no, there is no excitement without waves, and, uh, you know, my son, both my sons, they get up early in the morning, they check the waves, see what the wave report is. And if you're going to, if you're going to surf and you're going to have an adventure in life, there's got to be waves. There's got to be something that challenges you. And so little Nixon, he's uh, six years old 
and uh, he is really good surfer already. And uh, when he's surfing on the beach, uh, people literally line up on the beach to watch him because I see this little boy that can get up on the board and surf. And so uh, you gotta have waves to make life exciting. And so it is a blessing. The, where does, where does uh, pressure come from? It comes from the world, it's part of the world. Number two, pressure comes from others. Pressure comes from others. Sometimes we have people in our life that put pressure on us. People that, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's someone that's really critical of us that we have pressure with. And so sometimes, you know, we have pressure and stress in life because of other people. I read about Amy Tan, who's a famous uh, uh, author, Chinese author. She writes these books about uh, immigrants coming to the U.S. Uh, from China and Japan and different things that, uh, you know, different places. And she writes these wonderful books. Uh, back in uh, 1989, her first big hit was the book The Joy Luck Club, The Joy Luck Club. And uh, Amy Tan uh, said this about her mother. She said her mother uh, was hypercritical of her, hypercritical of her. He said, uh, Amy Tan said that my mother growing up had the expectation of me that I would be a neurosurgeon during the week and a concert pianist during the weekend. She had this enormous pressure, these expectations of me, and she said, I lived under that. And when my book, The Joy Luck Cup, came out, it was number four, number four on the New York's bestseller list. And she said to her mom, hey, mom, my book is number four on the New York's bestseller list. And her mom said, what happened? Who's number three, number two, number one? So sometimes we have people in our life that put a lot of pressure on us people that are trying to drive us and, and people that are oppressing us. And so here's what I need to, need to remind you of and need to remind myself of. We all need to remember this, that, that we should not allow other people to put undue stress on us. We need to do our best, but we may not always be the best. We need to do our best, but we may not always be the best. I love what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And what a great, great quote. So you've gotta be comfortable with who you are. You gotta be comfortable with how God made you. You gotta be comfortable with the giftings he's given you. You gotta be comfortable with the calling that God has given you. And so sometimes we get stress from people on the outside. I love, uh, you know, the only person we really have to, to please in life is, is the Lord himself. And if you're a, a person that's, you know, always driven by the voices of other people, the voices of other people that you've got to be better because they're critical of you, then you're going to be tracing something that you will never be able to solve. So that's important. Uh, sometimes we get, uh, we put pressure on ourselves. Uh, sometimes the pressure isn't out there. Sometimes the pressure comes from in here, from in here, that we are, are under stress because of the stress we put on ourselves. And maybe you're a perfectionistic person, a perfectionistic person. You know, um, I have a tendency to be, toward, uh, be a perfectionist. And, uh, you, know, that, you know, people see that as a, as a virtue. And uh, it can be a virtue. I think if you're going to have surgery, brain surgery, you want that guy to be a perfectionist, you know what I mean? You don't want him to say, I, I, it looks right to me, I'm not sure, you know, you don't want that. But the fact is, if you're a perfectionist, you can drive yourself and push yourself to misery. 
Someone said, this is a quote from a psychologist, perfectionism is the highest form of self-abuse. Perfectionism is the highest form of self-abuse. Say it with me. Perfectionism is the highest form of self-abuse. So you got to be comfortable. Maybe when people are criticizing you, when people are giving you a hard time, you got to know that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, you got to be comfortable with yourself. Uh, remember when Stephen was, uh, was, was preaching the word in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8 talks about Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Stephen was preaching the word and the people were angry at Stephen. They, they gnashed their teeth at him, whatever that means. They were angry at him. They were gnashing their teeth and they took up stones and they're throwing up Stephen. And, and the Bible says that Stephen looked up. Stephen looked up and as Stephen looked up, he saw the Lord Jesus standing in front of his throne. This is the only time in all of Scripture, the only time in all of Scripture where we see Jesus standing up in heaven. He's always seated on his throne. It's almost like Jesus is giving Stephen a standing ovation, that he's honoring Stephen. And he's saying to Stephen, doesn't matter how many stones are flying at you, doesn't matter how many people are criticizing you, doesn't matter how many people are putting you down, I am for you and I'm supporting you. And when you're going through life, you've got to listen for the applause of heaven. You've got to listen for the applause of heaven because the applause of people is fleeting and you need to listen for the applause of heaven because if you're doing what he wants you to do and you're doing it the way he wants you to do it, then you are a success in life. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to create anything to be approved by God. You have to remember that you've been created by God. You don't have to create anything to be approved by God, you just have to know that you have been created by the creator who made you in his image. You think about Jesus, when Jesus was, uh, was baptized uh, in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, wonderful story, the different gospels tell it in different ways, and Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and as he comes out of the water, uh, water, that dirty, muddy Jordan River water dripping off the hair of Jesus. As they bring Jesus up, the heavens are rent open and a voice comes from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That word came to Jesus before he'd ever performed any miracle, before he'd ever, before he'd ever taught any parable, before he ever walked in the water, before he did anything. His father, because of his father's love for him, his father loved him. And uh, your heavenly father loves you. He believes in you. He created you in his image. And he's pleased with you regardless of what you create in life. And if your worth and your value and my worth and my value is tethered to what we produce, then we're going to be in uh, misery constantly in our life. So that's very, very important. So how did Jesus in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, how did he handle stress? How did he handle pressure? Let's look at a couple of things here. How did Jesus handle stress? Number one, it's interesting. It says that Jesus knelt down and he prayed. Luke 22, 40, 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and he knelt down and he prayed. Now, that's interesting. Jesus is under the most pressure he's ever been under, and literally the weight of the world is on his shoulders. And the Bible says that he knelt down and he prayed. 
Now, you know, I grew up, my mom and my dad, you know, my dad was a Methodist pastor and turned Pentecostal pastor. And uh, he, uh, we always, my folks, you know, always kind of like mentored me that when I prayed at night, I would get down on my knees to pray beside my bed. Now, how many grew up getting down on your knees to pray by your bed? Just raise your hand. If you grew up that way, your parents taught you that. I don't know how it came about, but you got on your knees to pray. And so for years, I got down on my knees to pray. And one night I was, you know, didn't want to do that. And my mom, you know, gave me a little lecture about that. And so I got back down on my knees. You know, she did the guilt thing on me and I got down on my knees and prayed. Um, But I, you know, after I got to be an adult, I got away from kneeling down. And I would pray when I walked or I would pray, you know, uh, sitting in a chair. But somehow I got away from kneeling down. And you can pray in any posture you want to. You can pray on your bicycle. I pray on my bicycle sometimes. Sometimes I pray on the tennis court. You know, Lord, don't let me double fault. I'm praying that, Lord. Uh, You know, I pray a lot of different places. Pray in the car. You know, I pray in the truck. I do keep my eyes open when I'm praying in the truck. So, but, you know, there's something powerful about kneeling. And when you're kneeling... Two things are happening when you're kneeling. When you're kneeling, you're acknowledging royalty. When you kneel, you're acknowledging a king. We live in a democracy, so we don't really get that. But in a a system where there's kings and queens, there's a sense of kneeling to recognize royalty. And when you kneel before the Lord, you're recognizing that the Lord is king. uh, And and it puts in perspective who you are and who God is. And, uh, you know, you are uh, in a vulnerable position. When you're kneeling, there's not ever a position in your life where you're more vulnerable than when you're kneeling. Because you can be pushed over, you, you can't get up and run, you're kneeling, you're vulnerable. So when you're kneeling, you're recognizing royalty, and you're in a vulnerable position, and you're recognizing, you, you're recognizing who you are and who God is. Now, there's a picture of George Washington kneeling at Valley Forge. I think we got that picture somewhere. And uh, how many, I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. I think we got the picture of George Washington kneeling, but maybe we don't have it. Just imagine it right now. There's a picture of George Washington kneeling. Uh, there it is. There it is. Uh, how many have ever seen this picture before? It's a great picture. Now, I'm not sure if this is historically accurate. There's a lot of debate about how religious George Washington really was, and that's a debate for a different time. Uh, and I don't know if this is historical, but I love the picture. The picture is, it shows a man under great pressure, great stress. Uh, he's facing an army that he's completely outnumbered, doesn't have his supplies. His, his soldiers don't even have any shoes. And it shows the father of our country kneeling down, recognizing a power that's higher than he is. And if you're going to succeed in life, and if I'm going to succeed in life, we need to kneel down and recognize that there is a higher power. And that higher power has a name. And that higher power is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Can you say a big amen? So we need to recognize there is someone that's greater than we are. So we need to kneel down. So Jesus knelt down. And... uh, I used to have this t-shirt, Christian t-shirt that I used to wear, and somebody gave it to me, and the t-shirt said, two things I know, there is a God, and I am not him. There is a God, and I am not him. When I'm kneeling down, I'm recognizing I need the Lord, I need his strength, and I need his power. And here's what it says about kneeling down. Uh, It said he knelt down and prayed. Just to give you a little bit, uh, a taste for how many uh, scriptures talk about kneeling. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Come, let us worship and bow down. 
let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, Paul says, for this reason I kneel. Everybody say I kneel. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole heaven whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. In Acts chapter 20, Paul just is on his way to Jerusalem, meets with the Ephesians elders for the last time in verse 36 of Acts 20. And when he had said these things, he knelt down. Everybody say knelt down. He knelt down and prayed with all of them. Acts 21, uh, he stops in Tyre on the way to Jerusalem. And it says in Acts 21, 5 and 6, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all with wives and children accompanied us. Uh, we went outside the, bitty, uh, outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. So I could do an exhaustive study about kneeling, kneeling. Kneeling has become a Catholic thing. And kneeling really should be a Christian thing. Kneeling is very important. So your assignment this week, you have an assignment this week, it's a simple assignment, to kneel down during one of your prayer times and, and pray in a kneeled position, a kneeled position. Now if you're like me, you have bad knees, you wanna maybe you know, let some people know that you're down there so they can help you up, you know? And uh, some of you are thinking right now, I'd love to kneel down if I could. My knees are so bad I can't kneel down. And um, so if you want to get together later on, we can have a, a knee-sharing story. I've got a lot of knee-sharing stories myself. So, But uh, kneeling is empowering. Say it with me. Kneeling is empowering. So when he was under pressure, he knelt down. That's a very, very important principle. Now, the other thing that uh, Jesus did here when he was kneeling down, he expressed his deepest struggle. He expressed his deepest struggle. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Prayer is, prayer is transparency, being honest before God. Uh, he's, Jesus is expressing to his father that he is struggling with going to the cross. Not because he's afraid of the pain, which he probably was. I mean, that's a natural part of it. Uh, he didn't want to drink of this cup. Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass for me. Now, I've taught on this before, and I don't have time to do it today, but the cup signifies the wrath of God. In the Old Testament, New Testament, the cup has to do with the wrath of God. And Jesus, for the first time in eternal history, Jesus eternally has been in perfect fellowship with his Father. And so at this point in his, uh, in his life, he's going to become sin for us. He's going to say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the son who loves the father and the father who loves the son and the spirit who loves the father and the son, uh, the, the son is going to be separated from the father for the first time in all of eternity. And he said, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to experience the wrath of God because he was pure and he was holy. So that's what he's struggling with. But in your prayer time, uh, when you're under pressure, make sure that you are transparent about your struggles. Be honest with the Lord about your struggles. Be honest with the Lord about your struggling with. Now, I'm reading in my devotions. My history has been in my devotions to read two Old Testament, two New Testament, and a proverb each day. Two Old Testament, two New Testament, and a proverb every day. So now I'm reading two Old Testament, two New Testament, a proverb, and three Psalms. I've started reading Psalms, and Psalms, I think maybe it has to do a little bit with my age and where I'm at in life, but the Psalms are prayers, 
and they're very gutsy. There are some songs, psalms called the imprecatory prayers. When I was in seminary, I wrote a paper on the imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms are where you're saying, Lord, I want you to kill my enemies. I want you to run over them with a steamroller, and it's just completely honest. Uh, and it doesn't mean that, that God's going to do that. It just means that it's showing us in the psalms you can be completely transparent and honest with the Lord in your prayer time. And it's what it says in, uh, it says in Psalm 62.8. 62.8, Psalm 62.8, trust in him, trust in the Lord at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him, pour out your heart before him. So in uh, your prayer, express your struggle, your deepest struggles for the Lord. Listen to this, there's nothing going on inside of you that you cannot tell the Lord. There's nothing going on inside of you that you cannot tell the Lord. He, he already knows what's in your heart. So prayer, part of prayer is confessing, confessing to the Lord what your deepest struggles are. And so Jesus said, when he's under pressure, he kneels down and he expresses his struggle to his father. Very important thing. Third thing in the, in the uh, deal uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane is, is that uh, he, he submitted to his father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. He submitted to his father's will. He submitted to his father's will. Just real quickly, listen to this. The goal of prayer, the goal of prayer is not to twist God, to twist God's arm to get him to do what you want him to do. Now that's how you pray. Lord, what I really want is I want to marry Mary Jane. Uh, that's what I really want in life. You just be honest with God. But God, you want to say to the Lord, your prayer needs to go this way. Lord, if you don't want me to marry Mary Jane, please, I, may, I want not my will, but your will be done. The goal of prayer is to discover the will of God in your life, not to promote your will, to promote God's will. And this becomes so liberating in our Christian life. You know, when you're wrestling with God, you're on your knees and you're struggling with something, you, Lord, you want the Lord to do this, you want him to do this thing for you, you want him to do it now, and, uh, and, and you evolve to the place in prayer where you say, not my will, but your will be done. There was a time in you know, churches, church history in the 70s and 80s where it was an anathema to, pl- to pray, not my, not my will, but your will be done. It was like claiming what you want, putting your foot down, demanding that God do what you want him to do, and that is just absolute heresy. It's heresy. It's absolutely wrong because God knows what you and I don't know. He sees, things, he sees the future from every angle. And so when you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, you're submitting to your heavenly Father. You're submitting to your heavenly Father. Very important thing. So when you pray, submit to the Lord. Just say this. There was a TV show. Karen gets up in the mornings early, uh, well, earlier than, than people that get up at noon. But anyhow, she gets up earlier. She, no, she gets up pretty. Not, I get up before her, but she doesn't sleep in all day. You know, no, she gets up pretty early, actually. But, you know, I like to watch Weather Channel. You know, like anybody out there like to watch the Weather Channel? I don't know what that is, but I'm watching the Weather Channel now. I love the Weather Channel. I mean, I think it means I'm a geezer. I don't know what it is. I love the Weather Channel. But she likes to watch these old TV shows. She likes to watch the black and white TV shows. And there's a certain channel that has all those on there. I don't know. I'm not interested, but she's all about it. And that's what she watches every morning. Leave it to Beaver. And there's one of the shows she watches. It's called Father Knows Best. Say this with me, Father always knows best. Father always knows best. Spurgeon said, and I've quoted this like a hundred times, 
the last two months. God is too good to be unkind, too wise to make a mistake. I may not always be able to trace his hand, but I can always trust his heart. I can always trust his heart. The last thing that uh, Jesus did is he brought his friends with him when he was in a struggle. He brought Peter, James, and John. And there's a whole thing about, uh, you know, that was the inner circle. They were at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They were at when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Peter, James, and John had this intimate relationship with Jesus. And by the way, uh, you're going to be... you're going to be closer to some people in this life than you are to other people. And we all have certain people. We love people, but there are certain people that become our circle. And Jesus had Peter, James, and John that were in the inner circle with him, and he brought his friends with him. So when you are going through a hard time, you need to develop covenant relationships with people that love Jesus in our church, and our small groups, people the Holy Spirit brings into your life. Uh, as I look over my life, well, I've been here 40 years, and when I first came here, I remember how when I first came here, you know, Karen and I didn't have any friends. We didn't have really, you know, we, we knew some people in the community, but we didn't have any friends, and it was so lonely. And I remember us praying, Lord, bring us friends, bring us people. And the Lord brought some people in our life that are still our friends over 40 years and uh, just are good friends. And we had people from college that we're friends with. So when I'm going through a hard time, you know, I had people that are rooting for me and praying for me. And I had, uh, a while back, had a little bit of a rough, rough patch and um, I have two really good college friends. I called them. I said, I need you to be praying about this. I'm going through this. I need you to pray for this. And one guy in particular, he called me every day. He said, Danny, I'm praying for you. You didn't call me Pastor Danny. You know, we're just like buddies. You know, I'm just a person to him. And uh, he, he said, I'm praying for you. Send me a text in the morning with the scripture. So he's praying for me. So you've got to have people in your life. You've got to have friends that you bring in. Life is too hard to do it alone. You've got to have people that are standing beside you. And Jesus brought with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. He brought, you know, the, there was a group of disciples who were out on the fringe of the garden. And then he brought three disciples really, really close to him. And they were supposed to pray for him. But they didn't. They fell asleep. And here's a great thing that you need to learn from this story. All of our friends will at some point let us down. All of our friends at some point will let us down. Friends are just, they're just people. The disciples were sleeping. They were sleeping. They're human. Every friend you have is human. And if you have an idealistic perspective and an idealistic demand on your friends, you would drive all your friends away. If you say to me, you got to be here 100% of the time, you got to do it perfect, you're supposed to be my friend. If you have that attitude, you will destroy all of your friendships because you got to remember that your friends are just people. They're just people, and they're going to let you down sometimes, and they're not going to be there. They're going to sleep. How many have ever had some of your friends sleeping when you're in a trial? They're sleeping. They, you want them to wake up, and they don't seem to be cued in. And so you have to have... A, a realistic relationship about your friends because sometimes your friends are sleeping when you need them to be praying for you. That's the truth. And here's what I tell myself when my friends let me down. I have to say, I've let my friends down sometimes. We've all failed each other. Now, why does God let our friends sometimes not be there when we need them to be there? It's because God keeps, our, our, keeps us from making our friends our our idols. You can take your friends and you can make them your idols. Uh, you, it, it, is, it is fundamentally wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. It's fundamentally a sin 
to put more trust in your friends than you put in the Lord. So you got to make sure that you keep that balance. You want to have people around you. You want to have people loving you. You want to have people praying for you. But God sometimes will let your friends let you down so you don't make those friends an idol and you go to the Lord because we're supposed to go to the Lord first. And there's one other, a couple of scriptures real quick as we end. We're almost done here. So uh, here's what it says in Psalm 146, verses 3 through 4. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they will return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Here's what it says we're supposed to do. Ultimately, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. One more time. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Proverbs 3, 5. Uh, Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So thank the Lord for your friends. Love your friends. And by the way, this is not even in the point here. But when you're having a struggle, you tell the Lord everything. You're transparent. You don't tell everything on Facebook. Everybody on Facebook that says they're your friend are not really your friends. Can you say a big amen? And I get so worried for people to just barf it all on Facebook because these people are not all your friends. You only let a few people see you sweat drops of blood. Jesus took Peter and James and I. They're the only ones that got to see Jesus at that moment. So be very selective in who you let see you when you're under the gun, when you're under the gun. I want you to lift your hands up to the Lord right now. The Holy Spirit's moving to help us. He's putting our eyes back on Jesus, our eyes ultimately on Jesus. Father, we thank you that your spirit is moving in us. You're helping us. You're strengthening us. Even when we're under the gun, when we're under the gun, we have a God who's stronger than any pressure we're under. And I pray for the Spirit of the Lord to lift people up, to encourage people this week. We thank you that the Lord is our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. I pray for people listening online right now, people at Fenwick Island, people wherever they are that are listening online, maybe that don't know the Lord, people that are even here today that don't know Jesus. There is no handling stress in life without Jesus being inside of them. So we pray that you'll cause people to repent of their sins and turn to you. And those of us, Lord, that have drifted away and not having our eyes on you, we lift our hands high to you today and we put our trust in you because you are our great God. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name. And just say this with me. Even when I'm under the gun, the Lord is with me. He is my strength. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.